The word for today is really a word of encouragement to all of us. You might be a believer here today and things have really started getting on top of you. You might have been coming to this church and you've been here with the ups and downs of this church and you feel people have let you down. But the word today is a word of hope. Don't look to people, look to the Lord. Because as people we will let you down. We are fallible. We are sinful creatures. So as you hear God's word today, I pray that you would be strengthened in your faith. That you wouldn't be tempted to walk away from the faith, from the church. As there are so many believers walking around now in Wanganui and in Auckland where I came from now. Christians who have isolated themselves and have said, that's it. No more for me. Don't give up hope. Look past us people and look to the Lord. It's been said that a man can live in squalor with hope, but he cannot live in a castle with lots of finery without hope. You might feel today that you're caught up in this daily treadmill of hopelessness. A day-to-day existence of earning food so that you can feed your family, of getting enough money together so that you can retire. But the harder you seem to work, the less you seem to have in the end. The taxman doesn't take it, your children do. (laughs) I've got children who are teenagers. You might be a student and you've been studying for three, four years. And when you look around you in the country... There are no jobs. And you think, why? You might look around at society and you see an increasing lawlessness and a violence and a lack of respect towards authority. Maybe you've even got that in your own household from your kids, constantly battling. Or maybe you're a couple and you've lost your children now and they're at the house and you're now thinking, now it's just us. What now? Mankind starts and ends his life naked with nothing to his or her name. And that's the way many people view life. It's so pessimistic. We start with nothing, we end with nothing. It's all hopeless. Solomon put it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. He said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? But before you get too depressed this morning, there is good news. It's not so for the Christian today. Those in Christ have been rescued from this purposeless existence and we've been given real hope and an eternal inheritance, says the Apostle Peter. And I hope you've turned with me already to the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, as we've been working through this book given to us as a gift from God. 1 Peter 1, and this morning we're on verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. 
Let's come before God's Word. It's His Word to us. It's unchangeable and it's true. Let's hear God's Word. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the text carries on, but we'll get there next time. Let's just look at those words today to us. What is this hope that the Apostle Peter is here describing to us? And as we look at this text, humanly, I just want to summarize it in three different aspects. We've got a past hope, a present hope, and a future hope that's described to us here. What is this past hope that's described to us in verse 3? We see the Apostle Peter here starts with a doxology or a hymn of praise to God. But it's a, it's a doxology with a difference. Every day when the Jew got up and said his prayers, he would start with these words, Blessed art thou, O God. And then he would say his prayers. But the Apostle Peter here starts differently. He says, as a believer, you can start like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a big difference there. Because the Apostle Peter is praying not to a distant, unknowable God, but he's praying to his Father, our Father. He's saying to us, you can come with childlike confidence and with love to your Father. We as Christians have not been left alone on this world. God did not put us here and just leave us here. He has put us here and He is looking after us. And He's loving us. He's protecting us because He's our Heavenly Father. He's our Father. Why? Because verse 3 says He caused our very existence. The text says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again. In the same way that earthly parents caused the birth of their child. Our Heavenly Father has caused our rebirth as spiritual believers. Christ has brought about our rebirth by the will and the act of God. We looked at that last week by His foreknowledge. His will, He wanted to do it. He wanted that relationship with you and I if we're believers here today. And then He went about and He brought it into existence. It's by His act. It's not something that man achieves at all. In the same way that you and I, at babies, we, we weren't, we didn't have anything to do with our own birth, did we? We arrived. They were our parents, but we were there. We arrived. We didn't have anything to do with it. Further, we see here that man is recreated. That's what rebirth means. He is recreated by the Father. What is our what does God's Word say in James chapter 1, verse 18? It says, when we become reborn, we become the first fruits of a new creation. God doesn't just remake us. He doesn't remake us. 
He recreates us. Do you get the difference? He doesn't take an old man and modify him into a new man. God takes an old man, that old man dies, and we are recreated into new creatures before Him. Not just that, we're given a purpose in life. When man is reborn, our text says, it is to a living hope. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, you can glance there if you want to, he speaks about the natural world as being a world without hope. The natural world leads to endless darkness and to endless death. And it's so true that man without God ends up with eternal hopelessness. You only need to go on the internet and to see what man is saying about trying to live a life of hope. They've even invented this system now where you can have your body frozen and then kept in case scientists in the future are able to revive you and then you can live again. That is hopelessness. You know, man goes kicking into death. We go kicking in there. Why? Because man doesn't have hope. It's when we have hope in Christ that we, we face death, yes, and death might be a painful experience and it might be very frightening, but we have hope when we go into death because there is life after death. It's a whole new adventure waiting for us. As a friend of mine said it yesterday, and he's not a believer. However, Christians are reborn to hope and to eternal victory. Why? Our text says, because Christ rose from the dead. If you go and look at the text there. Christ rose out from within the dead. Is that word little from means out from within the dead. That hymn we just sung. Up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. Our Lord was raised out from among the dead. When, when our Lord was in Hades, when He rose up, the rest of those bodies and the rest of those spirits remained behind them in the grave. He was united with His glorified body. He was the one who appeared to His disciples. Christ arose, defeating death and opening the way eternally to the Father. He was victorious. And it didn't stop there. He grants you and I that same victory. Why? Because we are in Christ. And so as a believer, this morning, you might be feeling overcome by whatever's happening around you. You might be having such a hard time at work. Or even spiritually, you're going through real hard times. Or maybe you're battling in your marriage and things are not going easily. And you're thinking, but where's God in all of this? How come this is all happening to me? The Apostle Peter urges us this morning, put aside those feelings, those big waves of circumstances. Push them aside and train your soul. Train your soul on the facts that God has given us here. Train your soul on the fact of your victory in what Christ has done for you. And you are in Christ. And so you have that victory. Your hope is anchored in the past because Christ arose. If Christ didn't rise up from the dead, 
then we're wasting our time here. We wouldn't have a faith. We wouldn't have a hope. We'd be hopeless as well. But Christ rose from the dead. That's just the beginning. Peter's just only getting going. Not only have we as Christians been reborn, says our text, but we have also entered into a present inheritance. And here we come to our present hope for now, today, 2010. This word inheritance is quite interesting. When you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that it's used over and over to describe land which God gave to His people. The land belonged to God. He can give it to whoever He likes and He chose to give it to His people. That was the first use of the word inheritance. But then we see further in the Old Testament that God goes further and He describes inheritance as describing a relationship between His people, the Israelites, and himself. There's a relationship that's established there between God and them. They become his own inheritance, says our Bibles in 1 Kings 8.53. They become his prized possession. And then when Jesus came in the New Testament, we find that that goes one step further. We now see described to us a spiritual inheritance, which is given to the believer. That is, your and my salvation if we are in Christ. It's been given to us by faith, says Galatians 3.18. How? By us becoming and we, be- and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, we come into a spiritual inheritance before God. The sinner, you and I, before we were born again, we are plucked out of death. And we are given new life by our Father that we've been singing about this morning. And that relationship that was there before is now changed. Whereas once before we were condemned in our sin, we now become a child. Listen to this and take encouragement. We become a child of the King of Kings. Do we forget that? When these things come up against us, do we forget? I am a child of the King of Kings. Not just that, God changes our status where once we were lost in our sin and doomed to death forever, we now become heirs and joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8.17. God rewards us with an inheritance that is spiritual. Remember who the Apostle Peter is writing to here. He's writing to people who are on the run for their lives. And he's saying to them, doesn't matter what happens to your physical bodies. It doesn't matter if you get caught and people want to kill you physically. You have a spiritual inheritance, something that people cannot take away from you. And that is what your hope is set on now as you're experiencing these things. What else does our text say about this inheritance of ours? Well, it mentions five things. Go and look for them there with me. Verse 4, it describes that we are born to an inheritance. Here they are, the five things. That is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And if you don't take courage out of this this morning, then you are spiritually dead. So let's see what God's Word is saying to us. This inheritance of ours is firstly imperishable. It's unlike any earthly inheritance that you might get. You might get a car from someone. You might get a property from someone on this earth. 
but it's got the germs of death in it. Why? Because it's going to rot, rust, decay, and become obsolete. That's what happens on earth to inheritances. But the Apostle Peter is here reminding his readers that this inheritance they've got is imperishable. It is outside of the normal laws of nature and the influences of ever-changing technology. Those of you with computers, you will know what happens. You buy a computer and as soon as you bought it, it's out of date. You've got to start uploading upgrades. And if you don't, it just becomes a piece of silicon sitting in front of you and it gives you error after error and just grey hair and you lose it. That's this earth. But the Apostle is saying to us, this inheritance that you've got, and he uses the word aptharton here, which is unravaged by an invading army. This inheritance you've got cannot be invaded. It cannot be ravaged, is the word he uses. You see, in Palestine, and his readers would have known this, in Palestine, Palestine had so many times, and now still is under attack, so many times been invaded by armies. People were maimed, women were raped, possessions were looted. Palestine had been fought over, blasted and flattened so many times in its history. However, the Apostle Peter reminds his readers, the Christian possesses this inheritance which cannot be ravaged or destroyed by any invading army. It cannot be touched by men. And listen to this, it cannot be touched by Satan himself. It's imperishable. He uses this word imperishable again in chapter 1 verse 23. Just glance ahead and you'll see. What is he describing there using this word? He's describing God's word to us. That's the other time that the Apostle Peter uses this word. And he's saying in the same way God's word is indestructible. It's the same word. So our salvation is indestructible, says the Apostle Peter. Secondly, we see that our, our inheritance in the Lord is undefiled. The word he uses here is the word amianton, which means to pollute with impurity or to stain. You know, many times Palestine had been rendered impure by false worship, by false gods being brought into the country, by people who are full, full of defiling things, and people coming to live there who were also defiled before the Lord. But let's just think a little back in human history. When Satan sinned, the whole of creation, including all mankind born thereafter, that's you and me included now, was tainted, polluted, and made impure by sin. Jerome said it very well. He said, you might think you're innocent, but every man is either a dishonest man himself or the heir of a dishonest man. So if you think you've escaped, don't worry, your dad was guilty and so you are. But you know, the Christian has a purity in God's eyes which even the sin of this world cannot infect. We are pure because of what Christ has done for us. We are in Him. Yes, we still struggle with daily sin every day. And I don't know a believer who doesn't. We all struggle with daily sin. We are all filled with impurities. But our purity before God lies in our salvation and what Christ has done for us. And so when you get overloaded by the sense of 
But I sin so often before the Lord. What is happening to me? Remember that you are pure before God because He is seeing, not you, He's seeing Christ. And then you come to Him and you ask, Lord, forgive me my sin daily. And then He forgives you that sin because of what Christ has done already. We are pure in Christ. And no man can take that away from us. What will be the final results of our salvation? It will be complete sanctification and glorification. We will be made perfect like Christ. Hear the words of encouragement today. The best is yet to come. Don't sit down in this life and be discouraged. The best is yet to come. This little life is a mere glimmer in the span of eternity. Don't sit down now. The best is yet to come. Your inheritance is undefiled. It is pure before the Lord. Thirdly, it is an unfading inheritance. The word used is amaranton, which speaks of a flower fading and dying and losing its color as it dies. It's a fact of this life that change happens all the time around us and to us. I don't have to remind you to go and stand in front of a mirror and see what's happened. Where once there was a daisy, there is now a succulent. Where once there was a hunk, there is now the hulk. Technological advances too, they're good. But what do we as mankind do? Change happens. We use them for good, but also for not good. But here's our word of encouragement from this text this morning. We as believers are also changing, yes. But our change is for the better. Christ is making us to be like Him. We aren't declining and going backwards. God is making us to be like His own Son. It's a process for the betterment. So next time you stand in front of that mirror, remind yourself, this might be fading away, but in Christ I stand strong. And I look to that and take encouragement in that, right? And then put on the mascara and whatever else. Fourthly, we see that this inheritance of ours is a kept or a guarded inheritance. This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, but it's also, and the word used is being kept. It's a continuous tense word here. Our inheritance is being kept. It's being kept, watch on, by who? By God. By God Himself. And so we know that the, its ultimate position is secure. Why do I know that? Because God Himself, the Almighty, the invincible God, is personally guarding our salvation. He's guarding it 24-7. In the old days, the Romans, when they wanted to look after a treasure, or they had this prisoner who couldn't escape, their tactic was to post guards in a circle around the treasure or around this person. And then they'd put another layer of guards around and another one. And so there was a multi-layered rank of soldiers around this treasure or this person. But you know what? They still lost treasures and they still had prisoners escaping. Why? Because these were just human beings. They were open to bribery, they were open to corruption, and they were open to sleep. 
and exhaustion. And even though there was a death sentence hanging over the Romans, a Roman soldier who lost a prisoner, they were killed. They still lost prisoners because they were just human. But here's the good news this morning. Our God does not get exhausted and fall asleep on watch duty. Our God cannot be bribed. He is omnipresent. That means He's always present everywhere at the same time. We can't understand that. We believe it. He is all-powerful. Put those two together and who's going to get through? If you don't hear anything else this morning, listen to this please. Once you're in Christ, you are forever in Him. Say that to yourself. Once I'm in Christ, I'm forever in Him. Why am I stressing this? Because Satan is bringing this lie to so many believers today. That is why so many are outside of churches walking around and they've gone back to the pots of Egypt looking for fruit and for food there. They've forgotten that God is keeping a guard on their souls. Satan will come to you with this lie, especially when hard times come up against you. You know what? Well, Satan will say, God doesn't love you. He hasn't got time for you. He doesn't love you anymore. That's why all this stuff's happening to you. Don't believe that lie. You are precious to Him. You are a guarded treasure to God. He will not let you go. Once you're in Him, you are forever in Him. Take courage from that this morning. You are His precious treasure is our fifth point. He says, it is you who are being guarded, says our text. Did you, did you pick it up? You are the guarded ones. As Christians, you and I are God's treasured inheritance and His possession from the moment of our rebirth. We are His guarded treasure. God guards us. He looks after us. He also shields us from attack. And this term here is taken from when the Romans wanted to look after a city. They wouldn't just put a garrison of soldiers around the city. They would actually post a garrison of soldiers inside the city. And so the city was secure because it was being guarded from inside as well as outside. Do you get the analogy here? When we become believers, you and I, God puts His deposit inside us. Ephesians 1.14 says it like this, The Spirit Himself is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. God puts His deposit, the Holy Spirit, inside of us when we become believers and He guards us from all sides, from outside and from inside. We are being shielded, continuous sense. And we are being shielded by God's power. You may lose your body. You may get disease and lose your body. You may lose your job and things look hopeless. But God says, I am guarding you with my power. You will never lose your spirit. You will never lose your salvation. We need to say that over and over to ourselves. Because we are so prone as human beings, just like the Israelites of long ago, to forget these things, to fall back into sin, to look at the waves around us as Peter did, and to say, man, these are too big, I can't cope with this. God is guarding you with His power. You are not alone. It doesn't matter if you're physically alone. 
You are not alone. His Spirit is inside you, guarding you there where you are. He is omnipresent with you. Why are we guarded through faith? There's a reason for it, says our text. We are guarded for a future hope, verse 5 says. We are guarded for a salvation or a deliverance that will be revealed in the last time. There is hope for the future. Don't listen to the world. There is hope for the future. It's not all midnight and getting blacker. Very interestingly, this term salvation or soteria was also the word used for deliverance. And it was describing four facets of deliverance. It described deliverance from danger, deliverance from disease, deliverance from the condemnation of God, and deliverance from the power of sin. Now, just think through those things. Delivered from danger. We've got that promise from God. And yet, are there Christians that are killed? Are there persecuted Christians as we prayed this morning? Of course they are. Yes, they are. Does that mean God's not with them? No, He's still with them. But He has given us that promise, partly fulfilled now, but it will be fulfilled when Christ comes again. In full. Because in heaven, you will not be persecuted for your faith. In heaven, you will not lose your body to disease. In heaven, you will be free from the condemnation of God. In heaven, you will be free from the power of sin. Because there will be no more sin. And so it's a partly fulfilled promise which will be made perfect when Christ comes again. So we are looking for a hope to the future. Yes, we've been saved now in today's life, 2010. But God is saying, now I've saved you. You've got your salvation. You are in me. I'm taking you through. But look to the future. My son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming again. And when he comes again, it will all be made perfect. You will be made perfect. And all these things will be taken from you. There's our encouragement as believers this morning. When Christ comes again, He will be revealed or uncovered is the word used there. He will be seen in all His glory. His plan of salvation will be revealed in all its splendor. You might not understand how things work now when it comes to you and your salvation. And how come this happens? How come that happens to me as a believer? But one day you will understand. It will all be revealed to you when Christ comes again. Then the true extent of God's mercy and His love to you and I will be displayed in all its glory. God will be glorified in blazing and everlasting reality. And when that happens, this all will become clear to us. Take courage this morning. When will all this happen, says our text? Is there a date there? Does it say... 2012? No. In the last days, is our text. What are, what are the last days? The last days is that day, a set day, predetermined by the Father that only He knows. Not even the Son knows that day. God the Father knows that day. And on that day, the Lord Jesus Christ will come again fact. There is a specific day appointed by God the Father when Christ will appear physically on earth. We're still going to be doing whatever we're doing, doing our plumbing, doing our electrician's work, 
And we're still going to be putting a joint together and Christ will appear. And those in Christ will look at that glorious appearance and it will all be there before you and your spirit will know that Christ is here. But that same day the unbeliever will see this Son of God coming again and you will try and dig into the ground, says Scripture. You will cry for rocks to cover, cover you because you will not be able to handle what is happening. But you will be appearing before Him. Christ will appear. It is a day coming. And you know, we live our lives every day and we've forgotten that Christ is coming again. There's no urgency in our lives. There's no urgency in our ministry in this church. There's no urgency in our Christian lives of telling others about the gospel message because we've forgotten that Christ is coming again. It's, a, it's going to happen. And if you're an unbeliever here today, I urge you that you come to the Lord this morning. This morning. Don't delay. And that you come to God because you haven't come to Him and confessed to Him that you're in a sinful state before Him. You haven't come to Him putting your trust in the living God. You know that you don't have a heavenly Father today. You know that you only have a judge. You'll know that in your heart. The only hope you have today is a deceptive, empty, false hope that this world offers you. But there is good news and bad news for you today. If you're an unbeliever here today, here's your good news. You have a certain inheritance. But here's the bad news. It's not going to be a treasure. Rather, you're going to inherit the eternal and the relentless anger and judgment of a holy God. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor here and that's what pastors do. I'm not bringing down hell and damnation and brimstone on you this morning. I'm purely stating what God's Word tells me to state. God is going to come. And if you're an unbeliever, you will experience His judgment on you. That's also a fact. And there will be punishment that is being kept for you. God is reserving this punishment for you. A punishment that will be eternal and enduring. It will be torture and anguish that doesn't end. And God's call comes to you this morning. Come to Christ today. Today. And receive that rebirth. Don't delay. Christ could come later this afternoon. He could come tomorrow. He could come in 2012. He could come after that. We don't know. The Father knows. But we do know that we have to be in Christ if we are to be saved. And if you're a believer here today, here's your hope. As you look around you in your everyday life and as things happen to you at work, at home, are you setting your real hope in yourself and your own abilities? Because we live life, things carry on, but when it comes down to you actually looking at your own life and being honest with yourself, have you set your real hope in Christ or is it really pragmatically in yourself? When things get too much for you, are you tempted just to walk away? When believers get up your nose, are you tempted to walk away from them and to say, I don't want anything more to do with them? Set your hope completely on Jesus Christ, says the Apostle Peter to you and I today. He is the source of your living hope. He has brought you to an imperishable, 
inheritance in Himself. And Jesus Christ guarantees your future salvation because He is the one coming again. And He will come again in magnificent splendor, in power and in might. You see, this morning, to summarize and to end, our hope is anchored in the past. Why? Why is our hope anchored in the past? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Why is our hope anchored in the present? Because Jesus lives today. He's not dead. He arose. He is living now. And why is our hope completed in the future? Because Jesus is coming again. There are three things for you to remember if you want to live a victorious Christian life. Christ arose. I have victory in Him. Jesus is living. His Spirit is in me. I can live a victorious life. And there is hope for me. There's a living hope. Why? Because Christ is coming again. We've got three things to remember. And then we will stand strong in the Lord. And with the Apostle Paul, we can then say these words. Listen how these words now make so much sense. Romans 8 verses 35 to 39. Listen, just listen to these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on to try and find something which can separate him from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, even if I'm down to my last bits of clothes, or danger, or sword, can those things separate me from the love of Christ? And here comes Paul. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is our living hope this morning. And if you still walk out of these doors as a believer and you're still walking down with a mouth going down and you feel, I haven't got a hope to live for. I've got my job coming up this week and that big assignment's waiting for me and I just feel it's too much. Then go back, download the sermon, go back to God's Word and read it again because it hasn't sunk in. Open your heart. Be soft before the Lord and let Him give you that encouragement that you need. We have a living hope. Because Christ Jesus lives and He is coming again. Let's pray. Lord our God, even just with Paul's words ringing in our ears, even just stating those truths is but too much to just comprehend all at once that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Nothing. And when we see things coming up against us, Lord, they look so big, they look so real, and they are real. But we know that you too are real, Lord Jesus. That you rose from the dead, that you are not still in a grave somewhere in Israel. That you are now alive. That you have put your spirit inside us. Because we've experienced your work in us. We experience your guiding in our lives. And yet, Lord, 
when things go up against us, we tend so easily to forget about you like the Israelites had. We see those armies coming against us. And we say, where is the Lord? I wish I was back where I was. We forget, Lord. We're so prone to forget. And Lord, help us to remember that you've risen, that you've put inside of us an inheritance that no man, that Satan himself cannot take away from us, and that when we are prone to discouragement, we will remember these three things, that you arose, we have the victory in you, that you are now living and with us, even here in 2010, and that, Lord, you are coming again. We have a future that we can look to. There is urgency in what we are doing. May we take courage from your word. May we live a victorious life so that those around us who are living in hopelessness will look at us and say, man, where is that light coming from? Why is that person so confident in what they're doing? May they ask us those questions and may we then be able to point them to you, Lord Jesus, so that, God, you would be glorified. Make this real in our lives, Lord. We pray. Amen.